Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Anise Barnett, who is a NICU parent whose pregnancy was high risk and included bed rest and extended antepartum stay. Having been a mental health therapist for over six years, her experience inspired her to receive specialized training in perinatal mental health. As always, we are looking forward to hearing her truth today. So hello, Anise. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me today. Yes. Can you start by telling a little bit about yourself and your family? Yes, sure. So I'll start with my family. I am married to a fun and silly engineer, um, which doesn't usually go together, but (laughs) I'll say with me, he's fun and silly. And we have a toddler who is almost going to be two years old in a few months, which is um, unbelievable. And we just think about how far he's come and how fast the time has gone from, um, from the NICU to now. And um, yeah, I think you summed up myself pretty well. I'm a mental health therapist. Um, and I came down to Northern Virginia from New York about eight years ago to get my master's degree in counseling. And ever since then, I've been supporting families from couples um, to moms and their small children. And as we'll talk about today, my own experience really pushed me to focus on moms. Um, And so um, here in Northern Virginia, I do have a counseling practice called Foundations Counseling Services. And there I work with women and and moms and um, couples who are getting married. I do a lot of premarital counseling, um, but I have an offshoot of that, which is my coaching practice called The Breakthrough Mama. And that's where I focus um, all of my efforts on moms who currently have a high-risk pregnancy um, and moms who are fresh in the NICU or out of the NICU. Um, so yeah, that's that's my labor of love right there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We are always, um, always, always so thrilled when we, we have, one, we've met an amazing amount of people doing an amazing amount of work around supporting families through this huge transition of growing your family. Um, But especially when we have counselors, um, it's just wonderful because we need that and we need more of you all. So um, tell us a little bit about your pregnancy. Yes. So I'll see. Let's see if I can do like a nice abbreviated version of it. Um, (laughs) Do whatever you need to. (laughs) Um, So I would say, you know, every mom isn't happy when she get when she gets pregnant. So I'll say that. So not like all moms, but like many moms, I was actually excited to find out that I was pregnant, and um, it was a surprise, you know. Uh, we, we weren't, we were talking about expanding our family and didn't even know that we actually had already started the process. So it was a beautiful surprise. We were really, really happy. Um, but my pregnancy became high risk really early around 10 weeks. Um, and then the level of risk amplified around 20 weeks. Um, and then that's when they found that I had a short cervix on top of a lot of other things happening. And I had a black OBGYN at the time, and she was, I mean, she was just so warm, caring, 
um, and kind. And she would always say, don't worry, we're going to get you this baby. We're going to, you know, we're going to make this happen. And so immediately she let me know, you're going to cancel all your holiday plans. You're going to, you know, you've been on a light bed rest. You're going on a serious bed rest right now. Um, and I want to stitch up that um, cervix with the cerclage immediately. Unfortunately, there was some discrepancy with the hospital. She was like a newer practitioner. And so they said that my care had to, I had to be put in the care of the maternal fetal medicine doctor, and I'll say MFM for short, that was associated with the hospital. So she actually practiced in the hospital. And that provider was an older white woman. And I would definitely say from day one being with that woman, I felt like the statistic, I felt like those articles that I had read about prior, where all of a sudden now I had this cold provider who didn't really care about what happened to me, what happened to the child in my womb. She never believed what I was telling her. When I reported pain over and over again, it was, everything was, it's normal, you're fine. When it came to find out that so much of the pain that I was experiencing, number one, there were some contractions. And number two, I was, because of the, how much cervix I had already lost, I was actually feeling my son kicking down my cervix. Um, and so she, with all of that, she still didn't want to give me a cerclage. So it had been weeks. So by the time I got in her care, it was about 20 to 21 weeks. And for those who are not aware um, about how cerclages work, you cannot get them after 24 weeks. So I had a very short amount of time where this decision could be made. And so we were really, um, we were at the last the last second, the last week at 23 weeks. And she was just saying the same things. You'll come in every week and I'll just observe. I'll see how things are progressing. And thank God that I have a family friend who was an OBGYN and she really encouraged me to stick up for myself, to really, you know, speak up and say, that doesn't work for me. I hear, I know that you're the expert, but this is my life and whatever comes out of this, I have to live with it for the rest of my life. And when I said that, the provider, she, you could see, like she was shook by that. And she said, fine, don't come in in a week, come in in four days. And by the fourth day that I came in, I literally had like 0.5 centimeters left in my cervix. And so within four days, I think I had lost almost a full centimeter. And if I had never had that person to encourage me to stand up for myself, my story would be totally different. Um, and I might not even, I may not be a mother of a living son right now. Um, so thank God for that. And when I came in for that final appointment, Despite all of that, she actually was ready to let me go for the day and just told me to come back tomorrow to get the cerclage. And that's when the black sonographer tapped the doctor and said, are you crazy? Look at these pictures. Look at that baby's feet. Look at the sludge coming out. She cannot leave. A sonographer had to tell a doctor that, not just a doctor, but a doctor who specializes in high-risk pregnancy. 
that just tells you if there's not any of us around, what would happen to us, right? Is 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 unbelievable. So, I mean, at that moment, I was just rushed upstairs to L and D, and you know, put on medication to stop contractions and everything. And then I got the surclage the next day and everything worked out well for me. You know, thank God. I mean, I had other issues that were well-maintained for the remainder of the pregnancy. Um, And so that was at 24 weeks. And then at 31 weeks, I left my doctor. I left that doctor um, by the advice of my birth doula who've been telling me to leave for a long, long time. And I just, I felt like I couldn't leave, but I find, I said, okay, this, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. And we finally left and we found some, a place that we felt so much better about. So we were at the 30, the 31 week appointment, I believe it was. As soon as I left, my water broke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was in Whole Foods with my brother <laughs> and it was, it was, it was crazy. My brother came literally like the date, the night before to spend some time with me before I was, you know, about to become a mom. And he's like, okay, we'll give your husband a break. He can go to work today and I'll take you to your appointment. And little did he know what he was going to get wrapped into. Um, but, you know, by the grace of God, we were only across the street so it was a short drive back to the hospital and I stayed in the hospital a modest two weeks. You know, so many women are in antepartum two months. And um, so we were there two weeks and then I went into spontaneous labor at 33 weeks. Um, so I was supposed to be inducted at 34 weeks, but my little man said, nah, I'm ready for the world. <laughs> Enough of this. Let's go. Yes. (laughs) Just the level of dismissal is just frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, it, but then it's also just wonderful to hear the amount of people who were like, "Um, this is not going to work. Something needs to be done. Whether that was your birth doula, I mean, shout out to the sonographer um, for, for being on top. Um, of his job and her job. Um, but just, you know, you just hope that care providers really understand the like ripple effect of what happens when they're dismissive um, and the consequences behind that. Um, and then shout out to you too, like, uh, this ain't gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it definitely gets me thinking about, you know, what if you don't have that person in your life who would encourage you to stand up against a doctor because, I mean, we grew up believing that doctors know what's best, you know, and not that you want to have an adversarial relationship with your doctor, because that's something that my family friend always says, Dr. Hamlet. She's like, you don't want to be adversarial, you know, you don't want to battle between the doctor and you, but you do have to speak up. You have to let it be known what you're okay with. You have to ask your questions. And I knew that when I was doing those things and my ans- my, the answers that I was receiving was still not sufficient, the doctor was still answering them as fast as she could so she could run out the door, this wasn't going to work for me. Because even with me doing all the things that I was supposed to do, she still could not provide me appropriate care and compassionate care either way, you know, so I had to go, but what about the women who don't have a doctor in their family or somebody who's been through it to tell them it's okay to change your doctor. 
it's okay to tell your doctor that that does not work for you. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I like that, like appropriate and complete care. Like we all, everybody deserves that. And just making sure that it's a respected relationship. Like I'm coming to you with my concerns with the expectation of like, yes, you have this extended knowledge. So help me figure out what's going on and hear me so that we can figure out, well, what you suggest, if that works for me or not. Um, so that we can get to the root of whatever is going on. Yes. Um, so you go into spontaneous labor. Can you tell us about your birth? Yes, my birth was really good. Um, I mean, I pushed for a long time. I'm not one of those women who have that beautiful story. Like I, I walked in and I pushed in 10 minutes. I was pushing for two hours, okay? Um, I did not have an extremely long labor, um, but it definitely was different than what I wanted it to be. Um, because I did have a birth doula and I really, I got my doula really early before I even became high risk. So I, I really wanted that experience that we kind of, so many of us think about now as millennials where you're, you have a natural birth and, you know, your partner is there relieving the pressure for you and you're using all these different positions. I really wanted that. And, um, my mom had labored naturally as well. So I thought, I could do it too. But, you know, when I became high risk, I guess, and you know, and I'm not sure that I ever really thought about like, how was this going to change what labor is going to look like for me, but it totally changed the picture. And I couldn't do any of the things that I learned about. I, I really just had to um, breathe through it, hold my husband's hand and be encouraged through it. Um, but by the time that we made it to the birthing room, um, now, listen, I have been laboring in the bed so long, and I was just like, I know I didn't want an epidural, but y'all gonna have to give me something, okay? Um, like, right now. <laughs> but you know what was crazy? Nobody checked to see how dilated I was before I got the epidural. So after I got the epidural, I was already 10 centimeters. So I was like, wait a minute, I could have just pushed. I definitely could have just did this and got it over with because I will say the epidural for me, it, it's kind of the main reason that labor went on so long. I mean, not labor, but delivery. I pushed so long because of that. Cause I was just in so much pain and I just overkilled. I pushed the button so much. So then I couldn't feel my contractions at all. Um, and so I def it definitely got better once I started to feel a little bit more, but time had already passed. It was, uh, yeah, it wasn't going so well. But, you know, my the team that was in that room was so supportive and encouraging. They never gave up on me. Um, people were going in and out of the room to consult with the OBGYNs, but it wasn't very noticeable to me because there was a midwife who never left me, who pushed me through. Um, and then right at the very end, you know, I could tell they were going in and out and they were trying to make a decision. Are we going to keep letting her push this three pound baby out or are we going to, you know, have to do a C-section? And they decided that they were, I almost had this baby out and they were going to use, they did the vacuum. So they used the vacuum. So he, his head was out, but I just couldn't get anything else but the head out for a long time. And so they did the vacuum and thank God it all ended up fine. 
Um, and I'm just blessed because I know had I been at pretty much most other hospitals, not many would have given me the, even the opportunity to try to push out a premature baby, a three pound baby, and would have given me so much time. Um, but they always did as much as they could, whether it was changing my positions, um, giving me the, like the birthing bar. We did so many things. And of course my birth doula was, you know, she was a part of that too saying, okay, you think you're ready for the birth bar? You think you need this for motivation? Um, and so we pushed through, we made it. And I'm still just in shock a lot of times. Like, wow, I pushed out that little tiny baby. Unbelievable. <laughs> Yes. Superpowers. Okay. Giving birth gives you superpowers. Um, so uh, what did postpartum um, look like for you and um, your son's um, NICU stay um, being premature? Um, can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, my postpartum experience was, I think, postpartum is unique for NICU moms because a lot of the things that they tell you to do to work against like postpartum depression and anxiety, um, to manage the exhaustion, you don't really have the option of those things just because of the design of being a NICU parent, but also because the pull of being, the emotional pull, right? Like it's hard to tell a NICU mom to stay in bed and rest when all she wants to really do is be with this person that lived inside of her for whatever it be, six months, seven months, sometimes five months, but that you are connected to that person. And I think, you know, when we talk about postpartum planning and, and healing for moms who get to bring home their babies, you can lay in the bed and you can bring baby over and you can practice nursing in so many different ways. Somebody can grab the baby and put the baby back down when you sleep. And those are just not options for you as a NICU mom. Um, and so that played a big part in my healing, um, even just my physical healing, where a lot of my friends, you know, when they talk about how long they bled after birth, my bleeding lasted almost two months because um, I just never sat down. I never laid down. I was every single day running to that hospital, coming back extremely late at night. Um, like all the other moms, you're up at night pumping. But the emotional pull was, I was always thinking, man, I'm tired. But all the other moms have this sweet reward of holding their infants, even though they're tired. And here I am pumping for somebody that doesn't even live in my house yet. Um, and yeah, that was just emotionally hard. Um, the NICU is a supportive place. Um, I don't think I've heard many stories, if at all, of moms who felt unsupported by NICU staff. They, they just get it. They seem to get it. They seem to understand how difficult this is. The nurses are the ones who encourage you to take the breaks, to eat, because, you know, if you're in the NICU and you're trying to breastfeed, you got to eat just like everybody else. And it's hard to make that decision to get up and leave the baby because these are your only opportunities to be a mom. And a lot of NICU moms struggle with that guilt. If I get up and I go, am I not a good mom? What about the anxiety, right? If I get up and go, is something bad gonna happen to my baby and I'm not gonna be here? 
Um, and so we just, there's all these extra emotional parts to it that can amplify postpartum depression and anxiety. But then there's also those physical parts of it too. Um, and so from my experience, I would definitely say I, I felt all of those things. Um, I felt very supported by the nurses. I felt like the doctors that I was with, they always did their best in giving me as much information as possible. Um, and what I loved about our NICU was that we had speech therapists and they helped us breastfeed. So there was an extremely high rate in our NICU of breastfeeding because they were there all the time and they made meetings with us to sit with us. Um, and of course they, you know, use research to tell us when it would be appropriate to, to try, but they were with us all the way. Um, and so much so that when I came home from the NICU, I, I, I could do it myself. I knew how to weigh my baby. I knew how to, how to assume how much he ate from the breast. So how much of a bottle I needed to make. I knew how to do it because they really walked me deeply through it, thoroughly through it. Um, I think some of the challenges of being a NICU mom is the support of family, you know? So when you, when you expect to come home with a baby, your family says, okay, we're going to come for the first two weeks, maybe the month, and that's your opportunity to heal and rest. But when you have a NICU baby, it's great to have everybody there, but then there's this, still, there's this part that hasn't come yet where you still have to bring home an infant. And for the first time, you now have to wake up in the middle of the night for crying. And for the first time, you thought you was exhausted before, but whoa, you know, totally new level of exhaustion. And so you just may not even have people there because they use up all their time during the NICU, right? Or if you decide, go home while I'm in the NICU and come back later, now you're going through this extremely traumatic experience without the level of support that you really need. So it's, 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 it's hard. It's, that's, that's all I can say. It's so hard, yeah. Just all the layers. Um, I really do appreciate you reflecting on all of those layers, um, especially, I mean, you know, just thinking about, like you said, all the things that people say how to avoid postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety and um, complications and issues that can arise in postpartum, but you're dealing with so much when you're navigating um, NICU, not only for your own recovery, but also making sure you're trying to bond with your baby and be with your baby and and handling all all the layers that you just outlined so i really really um appreciate that because i do think um for those who for us who aren't as aware of what that looks like we can forget like even the small things like you said like you know pumping for a baby that you haven't even brought home yet that's a big deal <laughs> you know we tell people about the whole like ways to increase pumping is thinking about your baby being close to your baby all these things and it's like i'm not able to do those things um i'm still trying to navigate making sure i'm getting to and from the hospital there's just as you beautifully outlined so many layers to that experience um and you know we say on here postpartum is forever so thinking about when um, well one when were you able to bring your son home and, and what was that like? And then where are you all, how are things now? Yeah. Um, so we were able to bring him home after five weeks. Um, 
and it was exciting, of course, you know, but I was a little disappointed because we didn't have any, we didn't have anybody that welcomed us home. Um, and gosh, that makes me kind of emotional just thinking about it, just thinking about like, we had overcome so much through the pregnancy. We had overcome so much together through the NICU experience and then to come home and I just, I just wanted a big party kind of, you know, um, and shortly after was, I love This Is Us, the show. And it was the same year that Kate had um, little Jack and her son was in the NICU. And I just loved seeing like when she came home, like the family had thrown this party for her and for baby Jack. I think that I think that happened. Um, yeah. And I was just like, man, I wish that had happened to me. Um, and it's like, it's no, it's no shade to your family because my family was like phenomenal because my family doesn't live where I live. And they all, I mean, they took off work to be with me as much as they could. They were with me for the first, I think two or three weeks of the NICU. Um, after two weeks of my son being home, my mom came back and stayed with me another two or three weeks. Um, but it just is such a milestone in the life of a NICU parent that you wanted to feel super celebrated. And um, yeah, I definitely missed out on that, but it was hard. It was really hard, of course, coming home without help, right? Like I always envision, like I know my mom is supportive. I know that she would do anything for me, but not having her there yet because we didn't know when he'd come home, right? So you can't even arrange in that advance, like, okay, he's going to be home next week. So why don't you go ahead, take off work and come? No. So we just came home with an infant, a fragile infant that we were afraid constantly of what would happen to him because all his little life, he's been, been hooked up to wires that would indicate to us if anything was going wrong. Um, and so that anxiety I mean, it just came right on home with us and it was amplified, especially for me as the mom, you know, I think most moms come home and they are looking at baby, are they breathing? Are they breathing? And it's just so amplified coming out of the NICU. Um, so what my dad did for me was as soon as I told him that I hadn't slept for two days because I, I was afraid my baby was not going to breathe, he bought me the owlet. And, oh man, that was like my saving grace for the whole first year. Um, I still had that whole type of, that level of anxiety um, from the NICU pretty much the whole first year with me. Um, but I would just say, I think it was really just coming home and not really having helping hands. That was hard. And that just like the exhaustion and not really knowing how to transition into motherhood because nobody was there to tell me how to do it yeah yeah um that amplified piece that you talk about um is real um like you said the milestones of being able to finally bring your baby home but then navigating are you okay every single day like um how do I support you so that we don't have to go back? How do I make sure that you're okay? Um, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. like a, I would, I would say, I mean, up until now, that's like the, a, a, the, the fear that stays with me is I can never go back there. 
Like we're in the time of COVID and it's like, yes, we know that people are surviving, right? Even, even children, but the thought for me to think about having to go to the PICU for my child, that's like flashbacks, right? It's so, so for me, it's just so intense um, because it's not like I've never been there before. I don't know what it looks like and what it feels like. I know exactly what it's like to leave your child in the care of other people, um, to not know what's going to happen to your child. Um, and I think that's like one of the, the real kind of stings and of being a NICU mom, especially at first, is this is your child. And everybody tells you in, in, as you're pregnant and new motherhood that like you're the best one to care for your child and you're just going to know what to do. But that's not true for a NICU mom. You're not the best for your child, right? Like you're the best to love them. You're the best to hold their hand. And when you get a chance to hold them, your, your skin to skin and your love is going to really push them through. And it's amazing that they have research to prove that. But the truth is like your baby does need these doctors more than they need you right now. And they need these 20, 24 hours of care from nurses and they need all these machines to live more than they need you right now. And you have to day in and day out, leave your child and accept that every day, not just accept that today because my child got hurt and I had to leave. For every single day that you're in there, you walk in re-traumatized by the noises, by the sounds, by the dimness and the lights. And then you have to walk out again saying, I'm not necessarily the best thing for you right now. And I'm gonna have to trust all these people that I don't even know to take care of you and be the best for you. And I think eventually NICU moms kind of get to this place of acceptance because you know, like this is a situation, but at first that's hard. That's like, yeah. Even having like, we know our experiences, especially around our birth are so impactful. Like noises, like smells, all of that like lives with us forever. But uh, hearing you describe those like small details, even about the NICU, I just, I wanted to highlight again, just how important it is that in those moments you have supportive care people to help you. Cause like you said, being re-traumatized, like I, you know that, but like to hear you talk about it, like I felt that in my soul, like that's, that's real. That's real. It is. It is. And it's, and it's hard because one thing I always say, especially as a therapist, is um, working with moms, really working with anybody, is that the people around us that love us, they care about us. And it is their deep desire to actually like be there for us, take care of and support us. But people don't always know how to do that. And it can cause a lot of pain on our end when we feel like the people we love aren't there for us in the way we want them, or they don't say the right things, or they don't do the right things. And I think that that is a continuous experience for most people, right, in their lives and for moms. But in the NICU, it's one of those things where people just don't know what to say because they know they can't make it better. They've probably never been there before. Um, and so it's this complicated balance of like your people trying to support you, trying to be there for you, but they're like afraid. They don't know what to say. And then there are family members who are kind of afraid to see the baby that way and they want to be there for you, but they don't know how. So that's kind of one of my missions. One of my things too is like really 
in providing my best support for NICU mommy is providing ways that her support people can support her. Because when they feel confident in knowing what to do, oh man, it changes the game in support. Yeah, it changes the game for your healing. I love that. And I was going to say, like, I, you know, I really, it's so important that we're preparing family members and friends and any support person on how to support and also deal with their own um, fears and concerns about how am I going to be? So you doing that work and like knowing that they're like, that, that, that that's possible um, and that support people can have that resource is so key. I agree. <laughs> Thank you. You know, something I'm thinking about um, to the conversation is I'm thinking about like my husband's experience as, um, as a NICU dad and how dads have to sort of wear this hat between a support person and the person that it's happening to, you know? And we often think of mom as the sole person that it's happening to. Um, and when I think about like where we are now, you know, my husband, um, I for a long time felt like, man, I think you're traumatized. Like, I really think you're traumatized from everything. And he just was adamant that he was not. Um, and it took until probably my son was a year and a half for my husband to really see the same things that I was seeing in him. Like, dude, you are traumatized and you are having a hard time with this. And in some ways, like, I know you love your son so much and you'll do anything for him. But I see that there's like, there are challenges with making that bonding, that connection, right? Um, and I really feel like it has so much to do with that, what we went through. And he finally agreed to go to counseling. And I was telling somebody in my family this recently, just since he went to counseling, like it had made such a big impact in the way that he relates to our son on a daily basis, you know? And my husband always was like loving and caring to my son. You know, it's not about that, but it's like that the, the type of bond and the way that he experienced my son. And so when we think about, we think about, the first part being the NICU where you, you, the bonding looks different, completely different for, for, for families. Um, but especially for dads, because dads usually are going back to work and moms are the ones who are waiting around for the day that baby can come out of the incubator and do skin to skin. If they tell you baby can come out for 10 minutes, mom is already there waiting. But dad has usually missed all of that when he comes to pick you up or whatever the situation is. And so there's literally this huge point in time where dad does not get to make that bond. And if we think about just, you know, healthy families who come home right away, dad still has this extra level to jump to make that bond because he didn't carry the baby all that time, right? Mommy already has that. So we're talking about, oh, you missed out on the that pregnancy bonding like me now you also missed out because of the the NICU we're talking about we you're likely to see that kind of show up later on um and so I'm grateful that my husband listened but I say that to say yeah like NICU daddies need care too um they need counseling they need support groups um especially black dads you know because as black people in general um I think we are growing and our open-mindedness as a culture to therapy, but there's still so much work to do 
and especially when it comes to maternal mental health. Um, and I, I have a mentor in the field and we talk about this all the time that there are black maternal mental health therapists all over the country who are trying to create and sustain support groups. And they almost like never can sustain people like women just don't come. But whenever I go to support groups that are run by white women, the white women are there. They're all there getting the support that they need. Um, and so we spend a lot of time thinking about what is that? What can we do to bridge that gap? And we know so much of it has to do with our history of thinking that we've got to carry the burden and, and, and not help seeking. And so if our women are feeling like they can't help seek help, then we know the men in our circles are really feeling like they can't seek help. And it really, I mean, there's so much research out there that talks about that early bond, right? That has implications for the parent bond with the child for the rest of their life, but also just other social outcomes um, for the rest of their lives. And so um, that's sort of a lot of the reasons that I've, I've always been about the family unit, but I really shifted my work to these early days because that's the core. That's the core. Yeah. Right. The whole experience affects the whole family. Yes. Um, and we do, we put a lot of emphasis on, oh, the, the mother or the birthing person is having the baby. And we forget that this is a family experience. Everybody through all aspects of this, pro of, the, of the journey of the baby coming are going to be affected by that, everybody. So we have to make sure when we are supporting um, individuals that we're supporting the family, checking in with partners. How are you doing? What are you doing for yourself through this? Um, you know, in that postpartum period, what have you done to bond with baby? How are you connecting? Um, how are you reflecting on that birth? Um, all of that, the, the, the good, bad, um, beautiful, ugly, the whole, all of it, a part of birth affects every single person in that family. Um, so we have to make sure that we're checking in, that everybody is managing it well. And, I, you know, it's beautiful to hear you seeing that, being able to like, communicate that to your husband and him being able to receive um, that message and be able to make those shifts so that he can heal you know, definitely heal from that experience and be able to create a stronger bond with his son. Because you're right, those early days is where those connections get made. Yeah. Um, and navigating NICU with that makes that 10 times harder. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I like what you said, like, it's a family experience. Um, you know, it's like now that we're getting closer and closer to two and, you know, we're getting farther away from what happened my dad has been really vocal lately and over the last few months about how traumatized he was. And, you know, I know my dad loves me and he was so emotionally supportive to me at the time, but I guess I just never thought like that my dad was being traumatized by all of these things, but he's been just so vocal lately and expressing all these deep fears that he carried with him about my life, fear of losing me, um, you know, the fear of not having my grandson. And it's so interesting that as a mom, all of my anxiety was so tied to what was gonna happen to my son. For my dad, all of his anxiety was tied to what was gonna happen to me. How did I feel? How was I gonna make it through this? 
how is my marriage going to survive all of this? Um, and I, I, I just, I'm thinking on it in this moment, I'm reflecting and I'm like, wow, like that's that parent child thing. Like all these years later, like I'm having a baby and he's just like, I was ready to accept whatever, whatever version of CJ we got, I was okay with it, but it was you. It was you. I was, I was so scared. Um, and I, I don't really have a reflection on it. Just, just noting what has happened lately, you know, like in my family and so interesting. Yeah. I also like, I'm reflecting on you sharing that and I don't really have um, much besides just loving that your, your dad was able to share that for you. And that it sounds like also doing his own healing Mm -hmm. through all of that. Um, And I think it also speaks to that, like healing from whatever parts of our birth that, that didn't, that weren't the great um, that caused us harm or didn't feel good doesn't ha- have to happen in the first year. It, it can do whatever it needs to do and we can move and flow through it however long it needs to take. Um, I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we definitely are at this point where we know healing is not linear, right? It ebbs and it flows. And it's encouraging for people to know that if I can't heal this year, I've still got next year. And I think it's especially important when we talk about maternal mental health, because most of the moms that I've ever spoken to, they don't really reach out for help to like, they get close to that first year um, to, to heal from whatever trauma they experience. So yes, I want moms to get help much earlier because we, we don't have to suffer for that long, but it's, it's not over just because you didn't get help yet. There's still room for healing. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story um, and your family's journey to healing. Is there anything else that you would like to leave with listeners, whether from your birth, your work, um, just anything you want to leave them with? Yes. Um, I guess I'll just talk a little about a bit, a bit about resources and just kind of sum everything up. But um, for all moms, um, Postpartum Support International, of course, is the kind of the number one, you know, the kind of the golden standard um, for support for new moms, pregnant moms. Um, and they're, they have so many support groups. And I mean, they're doing a really great job this year of like diversifying their offers. And they have support groups that are specifically for Black moms, Hispanic moms, um, Southeast East Asian moms, um, moms who are adopting. Um, and so there you can really find what you're looking for. And all the support groups are free. Um, for me, with my work, um, this next week, so I guess when this comes out, it'll be available. But I am um, launching a master class that's going to be like, this is my signature class that I'm going to be doing here on out. And it's called Flourish in the Fourth. And it is a blueprint for flourishing in the fourth trimester for high-risk moms. And this class is designed to help you decrease the onset of postpartum depression and anxiety and my thing about it is, is that it's really designed to help you create joy, life after baby, because as high-risk moms, we carry so much anxiety with us through that journey. We're afraid if baby is really going to ever make it here. Um, 
we are not even thinking about planning because we're just trying to get through this moment. We're overwhelmed by fear and anxiety. And yes, one in seven moms experience postpartum depression, anxiety, but for high-risk moms, that number doubles and sometimes triples. Um, And that's because we're often carrying in that anxiety um, with us in that depression. And so this class is really so that, hey, mom, like we actually can create some joy after everything we've been through. We can get that opportunity to bond with baby and make positive experiences. I know it was hard to bond before because he wasn't sure what was going to happen, but I'm going to help you do that now. Um, So we're going to cover managing those current fears and anxieties that high-risk mommies have. We're going to actually build out a postpartum um, plan. And every mom that attends this has to attend with one support person because that becomes your person who is now confident. They understand um, postpartum depression and anxiety. They understand all these things. So they know what to look for and they're confident in it and they know how to bring it up to you. But you also now know this person did this with me. They're safe. If I am having scary thoughts, I can express it because they're not going to judge me. They also know that this is just something that can happen. Um, And so it kind of decreases that that guilt and shame that moms feel when they have those scary and intrusive thoughts um, in the postpartum period. And I'm really going to be walking families through exactly how to do this plan, how to create um, a home environment that is going to allow mom to rest, heal, protect her mental health, and allow her to focus on bonding with the baby and maintaining positive relationships with all the people that she loves. That sounds phenomenal. I love it. Flourishing in the fourth. I absolutely love that. Um, That's going to be an amazing uh, resource and support system and preparation for families for sure. So thank you so much for sharing your story again, for sharing your work. Um, all of it is important and definitely going, there's going to be someone that connects, connects with this and, and really finds what they need from it. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. And my last message is, I know it's hard, you know, whether you're in a high risk pregnancy right now or, you know, in the NICU coming out of the NICU, um, but there's joy to be had after it. There's joy to be found. Um, and even if you don't feel it right away, that's okay. You know, but with support, um, with time and with help, you'll get well, you'll feel better and you'll find that joy. Um, and if you want to connect with me, um, you can find me on Instagram at the breakthrough mama. Um, and it's the underscore breakthrough mama. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. That will be in the show notes in case I can't find it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 